In order to make improvements and to create lasting change in our lives, we need to first understand what we're doing, what's going on that we want to change. But even before we can take inventory of our current habits, our current behaviors that we don't like or we don't like the results of, what we need to do is understand how we define what we want, how we define wellness, how we define happiness, so that we know how to measure our habits and our behaviors against the ideals. And the ideals aren't societal. They aren't based on anyone else. They're based in yourself. And today, I want to go through a structure that I've outlined that's going to enable us to understand how exactly we can keep tabs on ourselves in these 10 areas. I couldn't narrow it down. There's 10 of them. But in these 10 areas, how you personally enjoy taking care of yourself. I think the reason we're all so fascinated by other people's optimization and routines and habits is because we want to understand how that person step-by-step goes through and creates the life that we're seeing. They create the life that they're presenting to the world. But I want to take a step back from that. I'm not sure that we're looking at this in the best way for ourselves. So what I think we're really seeing when we see someone else's end result is something we want for ourselves. And let's just generally categorize the end result as success, right? So if we're going to look at someone else's success and think, okay, I want that. How do I get there? Let me figure out how they got there. We're going to go and we're going to watch their TikToks. We're going to watch their reels. We're going to see what their day-to-day is like. We're going to see how they spend their time, what books they're reading, all of that kind of stuff. And maybe if we're really driven, if we have a lot of willpower that day, we're going to try to implement those things for ourselves, right? We're going to do exactly what this person does. We're going to wake up and we're going to do the billionaire morning routine. But I think there's a problem with that. And I think there's a reason why you fall off. You can't maintain that over a long period of time. And I think it's fully because of how we're looking at what they're doing. If we were to, instead of look at the specifics and measurable things that these people are doing on a day-to-day basis, and instead look at what categories, what large, broad-stroke categories are these individuals fulfilling? What are they giving themselves? And to create a system, to create a different kind of zoomed-out structure in which we can say, oh, wow, this person sits down and journals for 30 minutes. You know what? I fucking hate journaling. I don't want to do it. Every time I sit down, I don't enjoy it. I don't like it. What I say to that is, okay, so what are they getting out of journaling? What can we do that we love that will give us the same result? Maybe you like to talk. You don't like to write. So they're just getting their thoughts out, right? They're just organizing all the things that are floating around in their mind. And maybe for you, that looks like having an accountability partner that you check in with twice a week. Maybe that means you go to therapy so you're able to talk out your problems. Do you see how that would give you the exact same result that this individual is getting from their practice that works for them? 
but this practice works for you and this is something you enjoy. Now that's my emphasis here. What I'm saying is this is your life. If you want to make improvements to yourself, you are going to have to consistently show up. We know this. So why would you choose to show up doing things you don't enjoy on a daily basis? Do you really think you're going to stick to those things? It's not that you have a problem with your willpower. It's not that you're lazy. You're just not picking things that you like to do. There are ways to get the work done that you will like, that someone else will freaking hate. And that's fine. That's why all of this is personal. That's why I'm a personal trainer, because there are preferences, there are differences, there are injuries, there are little quirks, there are different things that make everyone different. So why are we going to attempt to follow a plan of someone else? Let's distill the nugget of truth, the gold in what they're doing. And take that and interpret it for ourselves. Okay, I'm going to calm down now. This is just very important to me. And I find that for me personally, when I started to look at my practices like this, I allowed myself to stop doing the things that I hated to do. But more importantly, I stopped telling myself that doing those things were the only path to success. And that's what I'm saying to you today. We are going to categorize our needs, our physical, our mental, our emotional, our spiritual needs in a way that's going to allow you space to be able to sort through, test out, and figure out what exactly you enjoy doing that is going to help you fulfill that specific need. Now, there are 10 of these needs. I couldn't narrow it down. I tried to, but I really think they're all important. And so what we're going to do today in this podcast is talk through each of those categories. In the next podcast, we're going to talk about how to implement this. So I'm really just planting a seed here. So I want you to relax. This isn't one of those podcasts that you want to grab a notebook and pen. That's going to be next time. But for right now, just tune in, zone out, and we're just going to talk through the 10 areas that I think are so important for us to focus on when we think about taking care of ourselves. I said there were 10, and there are 10. They're in no particular order, but I'm just going to run through all 10 of them right now. And then we're going to go back. I'm going to describe what I mean exactly by the category, and I'm also going to give a couple of examples of what it could be. There will be another dedicated episode to discussing options for how you can potentially go about fulfilling this need of yours. But for now, let's just focus on the basics. We have time to get into it later. Don't you worry. Okay, so number one, movement. Number two, nutrition. Number three, thought patterns. Number four, emotions. Number five, solitude. Number six, intuition. Number seven, nature and experience. Number eight, rest and recovery. Number nine, consumption. Number 10, relationships. Let's talk about movement. So every time I go to describe how I personally set goals, I describe how I've structured my movement goal. 
And for me, movement is a yes or no. Movement is also, is today my rest day? Then my movement category is fulfilled. This is the category that I personally have the most experience in dealing with people's neuroses about. As a trainer, I hear all the things that people think about what they need to or should do movement-wise. And generally, what I hear when someone has an unhealthy relationship with movement is they believe that in order to maintain or attain goals, they need to absolutely be working their body as hard as they can. Think sweating at the end of every single workout and working out like that every single day. Now, we're at the point where we all pretty much understand that in order to make physical gains, in order to make improvements, you need to allow the body to rest and make adaptations so it can improve. If you never give your body that rest, that break, it's never going to be able to make the improvements it needs to, the improvements that you're working so hard to attain. They happen when you're resting. Just like we know when you're a little kid, you grow when you sleep. It's the same concept. So not only does categorizing movement in this way allow you to understand that movement is something that will sometimes be a rest day, movement is sometimes going to also be unconventional. And if you despise going to the gym, if workout classes are not for you, you can still fulfill this category. That's really the amazing part about looking at life in this way. If that's you and you prefer going on long walks with your dog, your friends, going on a hike, doing something like that, that's your movement. If your movement is a 10-minute mobility class that you squeeze in, that's your movement. But If you are going to be that person that only has the time and the energy and the capacity to do that 10-minute mobility class, and yet you're telling yourself that if you don't go to the gym at 6 a.m. for an hour and a half, you're losing. You're a loser. You're not doing it. You're not going to even do that 10-minute mobility. That would benefit you. You're just setting yourself up for failure. I think this really illustrates how categorizing what you are capable of, what you enjoy, and what you are actually going to get done is going to set yourself up for success. You're going to feel better about your life if you're doing the things you want to be doing versus if you wake up and you're like, I have these 10 things I want to do today. I did none of them. You're not going to feel good. And all the while... The entire reason you have the intention of doing those 10 things is to feel good. So yeah, do we get it? I hope we get it. Let's move on to nutrition. Now, in the same way I spoke about movement being a yes or no, nutrition can be a loose definition for you. It can be whatever you need it to be. Maybe you have dietary restrictions. So for you, your nutritional component will be Am I falling within those restrictions? Am I doing what I can to prevent my body from feeling ill? Or if you have a relationship with food that really feels too restrictive to you, 
this category, this component would be to look at the way in which you are viewing food, to look at what food overeating, undereating represents to you and to better understand where that coping is coming from. So many people, myself included, use or have used food as a way to reward, as a way to comfort, as a way to escape. And if we're able to better understand the underlying emotions that are causing us to use food as a coping mechanism, we won't have to have such a tumultuous relationship with food itself. We can actually understand, hey, I'm using this as a way to avoid how I'm feeling about my job. I'm using food as a way to avoid feeling left out by my friends. Simply acknowledging that is pulling the issue away from the effect or the result and instead pointing the focus on the origin or the root of the problem. If from there we are able to address the root causes, we could then heal our relationship with the negative coping strategies we've developed. And we then have the potential to reframe what nutrition, what food, what diet, and not needing a diet really means to us. We could see food potentially as fuel for the body that's enabling us to perform, to show up mentally, physically, emotionally, instead of a way that we can control ourselves, a way that we can restrict ourselves to make ourselves feel good or bad. If we can pull ourselves out of there, we're going to be able to better nourish our bodies. And that's the objective in this category for me. Number three is thought patterns. We spend the majority of our days in our own heads and the soundtrack or the voice in your head is constantly repeating itself over and over. And so I like to think of it like the voice in my head is a separate person because I'm the awareness that's listening to the voice, right? So I can't also be the voice. But the voice is in my voice. So it's good. It's a concept that takes a little bit of time and a little bit of pondering. But if you're with me, if you understand that what you think isn't you because you are what's observing the thoughts, you are separate from the thoughts, then we are able to dissect how those thoughts are affecting us. Are those thoughts generally positive or are those thoughts negative and are they making us view the world in a way that isn't really serving us? Now, something that's very closely tied to our thought patterns is going to be our subconscious beliefs and those are influenced by any trauma that we have experienced throughout our lives, especially by the trauma we experienced during childhood. And trauma, when we hear that word, a lot of times we think of something extremely traumatic happening. And you might be saying, well, I had a really great childhood. Nothing really traumatic happened to me. That could be the case, but you could still have trauma from an event or a situation that you were not able to process. You did not have the resources to process at the time. And when you're growing up, 
there is a high likelihood that something happened to you, around you, in front of you that you were not able to fully grasp. And once we can accept that and once we can own that there might be something that is actually not what we believe to be true, but something that informed the way that we think and we live our lives on a day-to-day basis, you are going to feel empowered to attempt to heal this. And in healing, what we're really doing is we're processing those emotions, those emotions that we didn't have the capacity to process at the time. We are now going back and feeling them all the way, getting them out of our bodies because that's where the energy is stored, rewriting our beliefs with beliefs that we actually believe in and enabling ourselves to move on and move forward as a more clear and authentic channel in which we can live our lives. So it's not about positive thinking. It's not just about, hey, like, look at the bright side, bud. It's really deep and it's very intense, but this healing is so important. And so I really want to talk about this and we'll talk about this so much more, but that's what I mean by thought patterns. Now, Number four, emotions are very closely related to thought patterns. An emotion is a physical expression in the body from a thought. And we've all had that experience where we're sitting there, maybe at home alone, and we remember an event that hurt us, that embarrassed us, that made us feel badly. And we're flooded with that emotion, that negative emotion. But when we think about it, we're like, hey, I'm safe. I'm in my house. I'm alone. None of this is actually happening to me right now. And yet I'm fully feeling the same or a distilled version of the emotion I felt when this occurred. And I think what that emotion is telling you is that it's not done. It hasn't been fully processed. We don't fully understand it and we can't move on. We can't just try to ignore it. We can't shut it out because it's there and it's going to continue to live there. It's going to continue to pop up when similar situations happen. We are going to continuously protect ourselves and avoid the potential of possibly feeling that way again unless we fully are able to process. So for me, emotions are not as important as thoughts. I think that emotions can sometimes be given a little too much trust. I think that emotions come from thoughts. And so I think that the emotion is a very good indicator of what you need to work on and what you need to heal. It's more like a warning sign to me than an actual issue. And another thing that really informs me moving to trusting thoughts more than I trust emotions is knowing about how the nervous system and the state in which our nervous system is in impacts our emotional responses to things. So if we're constantly in that fight or flight state, if we're constantly on high alert, we are going to be looking out for potential threats and anything that our mind can spin to be negative is going to result in a panicked, scared, sad, angry, fearful emotion to respond. Notice how though the emotion came from the thought. The emotion came from the filter of 
the mind that the nervous system is currently in. So Yes, emotions are important to clear, emotions are important to feel through, but I really want to emphasize that I believe deeply that thoughts are the origin of where we need to work and where we need to heal. Emotions are more of a guiding light, and we will talk more about how we can assess and how we can improve our emotional health in the future, but I just want you to understand where I'm coming from with this. Number five is solitude. Now, solitude was the last category that I decided to add on, and I wanted to put it on this list because I think we need to think about our relationship to ourself as the primary relationship. I really don't believe that we are able and capable to show up as our most authentic, realist selves in any relationship until we are very comfortable with the relationship we have with ourselves. And if you know anything about human design, I am a reflector. And so that means essentially that anyone I'm around, I pick up on their energy, reflect it back to them. So for me, solitude is so important so that I'm able to clear all of these other energies. But I don't think it's a unique thing to me. I think that when you're around other people, especially when you're around them so often that you don't know where they start and you end. I said that wrong, but you know what I'm saying? The ability to be by yourself and to be comfortable and at some point find it enjoyable is a goal. It's so important. It's a pillar of wellness. At this very moment in time, I am not in the place I have been in this category. Right now for me on the pie chart, my solitude section is lacking. I left the house two times today and both times I called my mom the second I walked outside. And that's because I didn't feel like I wanted to be with myself. And being alone doesn't mean not calling anyone. Being alone means sitting with yourself and not doing anything. And enjoying it. And it's possible. I've been there. I've been there quite a bit. I am one of those people that's like, I'm independent. Like, I don't need nobody. That's an issue in and of itself. But I can tell you, I have grown to enjoy my own company and it's possible. But what it requires is for you to take a deep, hard look at the things you've been avoiding. What we're doing here is we're no longer using being around and being stimulated by other things as a coping mechanism. And that's really what I mean by solitude. Number six, intuition. This is probably the most witchy, woo-woo section of this. I'm very that, so it's totally fine. I really toned it down for y'all for this pie chart. But intuition is our body's system of knowing. We all have it. You don't need to be a psychic. You don't need to be super tapped in. You don't need to be doing spells and writing manifestation lists. Although if you want to do that, like do it. It's great. What it really means is that you're able to be with yourself, right? Solitude is so connected to intuition. You're able to quiet everything, to be able to listen to what your body knows it needs and wants. 
A really easy example of intuition and something that's been recently popularized is intuitive eating. This is actually what I practice and the way that I do it, it's very simple, but it requires concentration and it requires skill that you're able to build. Essentially what I do when I start to feel hungry, I will, if I'm home especially, I will close my eyes, looking inward if you will, and I will think about foods and I will think, how will I feel after I eat this? And maybe it'll be soup dumplings. And I'll think about it. And I'll feel into my body. I will physically feel into my stomach. And my stomach will intuitively tell me, yeah, that's what we want to eat. Or say someone's like, oh, let's get Shake Shack. And I'm like, uh, what I'm really doing is sitting with myself for just a moment. And it only takes a moment. But it takes practice to get down to the moment. But what you're going to be able to do is to sit there and think, hey, body, if I were to eat a burger and fries and a shake right now, how would we feel? And part of me thinks that in doing so, all you're really doing is remembering the last time you had that stuff and how you felt after. That could be what the intuition is. But Intuition for me is the act of pausing and looking inward for the answer, not trying to find the answer outside of you. There are so many ways that we can use this to help ourselves live our best lives. So we're going to talk about those, but essentially that's what I mean by intuition. Number seven, we have nature and experience. I think this is probably the most difficult to define category, but I'll do my best. I'll give you a rundown of what I was thinking when I wrote this. This category to me is very broad. It can be fulfilled with a number of things, and it's going to be very personal to you. Essentially, I'm saying, are you doing what you want to be doing? I think so much of our focus on our self-care and our well-being can pull us away from actually getting out there and living life. But the way I look at it is the reason that we want to take good care of ourselves is so that we can go out there and live life. So if for you, something that you love to do is to go out and party and dance and go to concerts and stay up late, that's your experience. That's great. That's what you want to do. Figure out a way in which you can still fulfill the other categories and still feel really good about how you're doing and how you're feeling in your body emotionally, mentally, while still doing what you love to do. I really don't think that being fit or having wellness practices should prevent you from doing anything. As long as you're consciously thinking about why you want to do what you're doing, and you're not just going along with whatever everyone else is doing or using experiences to escape your life or to cope with the things that you're not dealing with. Besides that, go for it. And the reason why I included nature in this category is because as someone who lives in a city, it's hard to come by nature. Like I have to go out of my way to be in nature, but I would be amiss to discount. Did I just say that? (laughs) Did it work though? I think it worked. I would be amiss to discount the connection and the 
serenity and the peace and the at-oneness that we feel when we're in natural spaces, when we're able to see what this earth is made of. Like, it is incredible and it's so necessary. So go to your concert, go out to your club, take your walk home (laughs) along the water. Make sure that you're spending time in things that nature created. It really does make a huge impact on outlook, on mentality, on the way that our body regulates itself. So that's super important. Number eight is rest and recovery. This is getting a lot of attention right now and I love it. I think that having any type of movement practice, which is something we should all have, and that can look however you'd like it to look, but having that requires us to also have intentionality when we think about how we are resting and how we are recovering. And I'm not talking about just physically resting and recovering your body, but I think as humans, we are cyclical beings, especially women. We run on a 28-day cycle, right? But I think just as doers of life, like human beings, we can't always be in go mode, grind mode, whatever. Winter is a time for us to rest, to pull back. The days are shorter. We're meant to use that darkness, use that time to be resting. It's not like, oh, the sun went down, so I have to turn on all the lights in my house and sit on my computer for another four hours. Nature pulls us into periods of rest. And if we constantly and aggressively fight against what feels right, what feels good, we're going to be sidelined in one way or another. If you do this to your body, you're going to get hurt. If you do this to your mind, something's going to happen that's going to pull you out of that mode. We need to accept that we move in waves and we can't always be working our hardest at one thing. We need to acknowledge that it's about a flow. It's about going with the energy. This is really one of the reasons why I love astrology so much. Less so like, oh, like what's your rising sign? It's fun. But I think that taking into account the astrological seasons that we're in allows us to really live out those parts of ourselves. I think we all have those parts in us. I do think it's very interesting that every insert your sign here, person I've ever met is so similar to the other people that are also that sign, but that's not what this is about. It's so easy to equate rest and recovery to sports because everyone has an off season. The athletes that you look up to are not giving it their all 365. They're giving it their all in the way that they need to in the moment. Their moment is not going to always be requiring them to work at their peak. Their cycles flow. And you need to also look at your life like that because it works. I'm not telling you what to do, but I highly suggest you do that. It's helpful, okay? Number nine is consumption. We already had our nutrition section, so what I'm speaking about is not what foods you're consuming. Instead, I'm talking about what energy are you consuming, where are you getting your news from, who are you listening to on repeat, what music do you listen to, what movies and shows do you watch, what video games are you playing. What I'm asking us to do here 
is not to abstain from life and go live in a cave. I'm asking us instead to be aware of how what you consume impacts how you feel, how you think, what you do, what you say. And if you want to tell me it doesn't, I'm going to argue with you. It absolutely does. If you're watching violent movies, your brain is conditioning itself that violence is normal. If you really want to do that though, fine. But just accept that this is what's happening. Acknowledge that this is what's occurring. If you're listening to songs that degrade women, are you going to be more respectful or less respectful? It's beyond obvious what the answer is here, but if I'm talking about you right now, you're probably going to argue with me and say, no, 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 I'm not like that. That's not who I am. And that might be the case, but look at what you're consuming. Look at what you're allowing to enter into your vision, into your life, into your awareness. All I'm asking is that you take responsibility for what you're seeing. And it's not that hard to change it. You are able to unfollow accounts. You are able to not watch certain episodes, movies, channels. You are able to opt out of conversations or not listen to certain music. It might not be easy. It might not be something you're wanting to or willing to do. And that's okay. You don't have to do anything. But you should acknowledge what you're consuming is doing to your mind and your well-being. And lastly, we have category number 10, relationships. For me, the main point in life is to relate to other people and to do things selflessly that improve the life, the experience, the well-being of other people. That's why I'm standing here right now pacing around my apartment recording this podcast because if I'm able to help one person from this, that is my purpose, that is my mission, that's how I'm fulfilled. I believe most humans, most individuals have some sort of purpose related to others. I don't think that we were meant to come here and to sit in little cubicles and type on our computers and then go home and do the same thing again. Think about when you feel the most alive. Think about when you feel the most fulfilled, the most passionate, the most purposeful version of yourself. I'm going to go out there and assume that there are other people involved in this vision. Let's think about sports, for example. There's so much passion there, right? These individuals dedicate their lives to becoming the best they can be at this sport. But why do they do it? So many of them will tell you, I do it for the fans. If no one watched and no one cared, what's the point of it all? I'm not at all saying here that you should focus on external validation or external approval, those guys, those women that play whatever game they love, they are connecting to their teammates. They're connecting to their coaches. They're connecting to their fans. They're inspiring younger generations. That is where that passion comes from. If these people were absolutely selfish and all they cared about was what they did and how great they were, we know athletes like this. We don't like them. They're not likable. And I would assume they're not really enjoying what they're doing. 
I really believe that true enjoyment, true fulfillment comes from relation to others. So it's not about how many friends you have or how many parties you're invited to or if you have a significant other if you don't right now or if you don't want one, like (laughs) it's fine. But I believe that a significant part of our well-being is tied to others. And the ways in which you prefer to relate to others is fully up to you. I'm not saying partnership here. That's not the category. I'm not saying friendships. I'm saying relationships. In whatever way feels best for you to relate to others, to give back, to connect, to feel alive, that's what you're going for. And it's important, in addition to creating a space and time for you to be alone, to create space and time for you to be with others in whatever that looks like for you. So that's it. Those are my 10 categories. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really excited to get deeper into how we can take inventory of our lives. This is going to be next episode. How we can go through these categories and understand where we're at with what's going on. Maybe I'll make a little PDF y'all can download and draw on your iPads with. We'll see. I'll catch you next time. Thank you.